This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik by Progress. Hello and welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me today is Julie Torres. How are you doing, Julie? Doing great. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks for joining the show. Uh, this is our uh, welcome back to the 2018 year. And this is our fourth season of Eat Sleep Code. And uh, we've, we're actually on show number 83 now. So we're, we're heading towards that big uh, 100 moment. So it's uh, getting to be an exciting time. I'm sure we'll hit that during the uh, season here. And um, Brian will be back with me for another Developer Digest show next week. I'm sure we'll be talking about some of the latest and greatest things that are happening in web development, like uh, the newest bits of Bootstrap dropping officially uh, into a final release this week and stuff like that. So make sure you turn into the sh- tune into the show every week uh, for something new. And this week we have Julie Torres, a former banker turned web developer and a host of the Code Crush podcast. Um, Julie's joined me to talk about a new book that she wrote about learning to code. Uh, Julie, why don't you give your uh, quick introduction of uh, who you are, what you're doing, and and what you've been up to. Sure. So um, as you mentioned, I am a banker turned web developer. So uh, I started off my career in banking, and it was just not for me for many, many reasons. Um, And I really wanted to change careers. Um, And when I stumbled across learning to code, I I just knew it was what I wanted to do. Uh, So I uh, became a web developer, and I'll talk a little bit more about that, and uh, now work for a huge international company uh, working in React.js. I also, in my spare time, produce the Code Crush podcast, which I do together with my uh, friend and ex-coworker, Kiana. And it's just a, a... goofy, fun, light uh, talk about code each week, and uh, also just released my ebook. And what's, what's the name of your ebook? It's called How to Become a Web Developer, The Career Changer's Guide. So super, super long name, but I figured, you know, that should uh, pretty much encompasses exactly what it is. <laughs> And it should make it easier to search for, too. Exactly. But we'll definitely give some uh, links to the book in our show notes so people can find it really easy. Great. So you said you were a banker turned web developer. So I'm I'm anxious to hear the story because myself, I've had many different careers that I've always kind of used to to use as an excuse to write code. So (laughs) I was an electronics engineer. Uh, quality assurance for electronics. I've done destructive failure analysis on electronics, which is crazy. Like you're actually like destroying things to see why they broke down. (laughs) Uh, So you have to physically destroy the device to investigate what went wrong. That sounds fun. (laughs) Crazy stuff, but I always ended up leveraging or um, relying on software to do stuff in my day to day. So I ended up where I am because of uh, that want and need to write code. So what what is your story of you being a banker and 
learning to code and, and changing careers? Yeah. So um, when I went to college, I really had no idea what I wanted to do. Uh, still didn't have any idea what I wanted to do when I graduated college. So I basically just fell into the first career that would have me, and that turned out to be banking. So I, I kind of worked my way up and uh, became an uh, assistant manager of a banking center. And, you know, my career was moving up. I knew it was going to continue to move up. But at the same time, I didn't feel like I was doing anything meaningful. I didn't feel like I was valued. Um, you know, nobody there was valued. <laughs> Only the the high executives in, in banking are really, um, really treated, treated well and, um, you know, and also, I, I had some ethical issues with working in banking. Um, you know, to me, banking a lot of times feels like it's uh, stealing from the poor to, to give to the rich. And I faced that on, on a regular basis. So I knew I just needed to get out of there. But I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I have, I, I just love to learn. And I will teach myself stuff just just for the sake of learning. And I stumbled across some some code tutorials, and I just immediately knew I love this. This is what I want to do as a career. And the problem was, though, that when I researched what it would take to go back to school and get into a tech career, I would have had to do, even though I had a bachelor's degree, I would have had to do another three years of school to get a second bachelor's degree, just because I would have to repeat a lot of classes. Um, there were a lot of just incompatibilities and, and it just, um, it would be like starting over from scratch. So I uh, heard about a coding boot camp, uh, decided very quickly to make a move and put it all on the line. I um, I took a, a leave from my job at the bank and um, went to three-month coding boot camp and hoped really badly that I'd come out with a job. And luckily, uh, I did. I got a job right afterward and uh, just continued on through there. So uh, what time frame is this uh, transition? Uh, how long ago did you do this? So let's see, about three and a half years ago. And uh, yeah, fr from the amount of time that it took to do that, um, I'm one of those people that when I decide to do something, I'm going to do it like right now, maybe yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think that from the time that I decided that I wanted to to um, become a developer to the time that I had my job was probably about eight months. Um, and, you know, some of that was, uh, you know, it was a little bit of researching time and then three months of the coding boot camp. And then I had a job within, actually, I think I had a job within a week or, or so of graduation because I'd already started my, my job search. So, so yeah, it was pretty fast. <laughs> so I have to compliment you. It, it takes a lot of guts to give up something stable, whether you like it or not, it's stable work and uh, decide to just drop it and, and change careers midstream. It was the scariest thing I've ever done. Because what I haven't mentioned is that I was also uh, the sole supporter for my family at that time. My husband had been uh, laid off during the recession. And uh, and so we were, it, it was a very big risk. And I uh, had to, luckily my father was able to loan me the money to go to school, but it was a loan and I, I, I would need to 
pay it back. So it was a, you know, it was like, well, this better work because if not, I don't know what we're going to (laughs) do. Yeah. And, and you hit on another excellent point about uh, going back to like university. Um, It's the the costs for universities enormous these days. And uh, to give, uh, you know, to, to commit to a career change at that level and, uh, you know, look at having to go in and get another degree to do something new. Uh, it's, it's tough. Yeah. Um, you know, I've faced that in the past before and, and luckily, uh, just, uh, like your stories starting to evolve here. I found my way into software without having to do that. Without having to go through, um, through uh, college. University. Yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah. Um, you know, universities are great and they do a lot of things really, really well. Um, but they're not really geared towards career. They're more geared towards learning for the sake of learning. And when what you really need is to have a job and, and I need a well-paying job that will be, you know, that I could start immediately. You know, unfortunately the universities just don't, do that as well as they possibly could, you know? Yeah. Not everybody has the opportunity to, you know, go back and take four years away from earning money to, you know, change career path and do something different. And unfortunately that's the way that universities tend to operate is the, the long-term investment in education, which, which again, like you pointed out, there, there's a definite need for that and a purpose for that. Uh, so it's good to see things like these boot camps you're talking about uh, come up and and help the people that uh, have a different type of need. Yeah, and I mean, there's definitely uh, upsides and downsides to the boot camp. They're not they're not a perfect solution. Um, they really do teach you just the minimum to get you into a job, and you still leave with a lot of it's almost like technical debt uh, but uh um you have a lot of gaps that you need to fill in afterward and and if you're really going to get good at the job if you're even going to just make it in your first job you really have to continue to self-educate but it is that nice launching point to get you into the first job yeah what i'm hoping is some uh people that are in the process of doing what you're talking about, uh, get to hear the show and, and learn some tips and uh, find out a little bit about your book. Uh, so maybe it'll make that challenge a little bit easier for them. Is, is that why you wrote the book? That's exactly why I wrote the book. When I got started, like I said, I, I originally was going to approach it from the angle of going back to college. Um, but even when I decided to go through a boot camp, I didn't, there were so many things that I didn't know. I didn't know what specifically I needed to learn and what wasn't important to learn, which I think is just as important uh, because I, you know, any developer that's starting out is going to get a constant stream of recommendations from experienced developers and they mean well, they're trying to help, but it can feel like you're being pulled in a million different directions and so uh, that was one of the big obstacles was just figuring out what what was really important to learn versus what could be saved for later. Um, and then also knowing how to get the job, how to um, find the best resources to teach myself, because even if you go through the coding boot camp, definitely have to teach yourself quite a bit outside of school. 
And, uh, you know, there were just so many obstacles. And I thought, you know, if I had had a guidebook when I went through this, my life would have been so much easier. And I just wanted to provide that to the people who were following behind me. Yeah, I think my, my dilemma, and this is going way back, was uh, universities were teaching things like uh, C++ and firmware development. And and uh, this new fangled thing called the internet was really looking like the place to be. And uh, I had no way to, to learn about that thing. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it just took more hands-on, um, you know, teach yourself, like, like you said you were doing, uh, learning where you're you're going online and finding tutorials and things to, to teach you on your own time to get up to speed. Unfortunately for me, there weren't boot camps at the time. So it's, it's great to see resources like that now. Yeah. And I think, you know, there are really good alternatives to boot camps as well. Uh, just because that's the route that I took doesn't mean that it's necessarily the best uh, route for everyone. And I think, you know, you can be just if you're really, really good at keeping yourself on task and staying motivated, uh, which is the biggest char challenge if you're self-teaching, you absolutely can teach yourself and get yourself into a job on your own. Uh, there are more than enough resources out there. Um, and one of the best ones is free code camp because it's just like a code camp teaches you everything that you would normally um, learn in a coding boot camp, but it's self-paced and it's free and it's online. Um, so, you know, that is another alternative that I talk about in the book because some people don't have, you know, a lot of people don't have the ability to pay for uh, a bachelor's degree, but a lot of people also don't have the ability to drop 10, 12, 15,000 to uh, go to a coding boot camp either. So, yeah, we we have a program here in Louisville where I live, and I've mentioned it a few times on the show. Um, it's called Code Louisville here, and what they do is they use the Treehouse curriculum. Nice. And uh, Treehouse, last time I checked, was about twenty five, thirty bucks a month, which so it might sound like a bit to to some people, and you know I can understand all different sorts of budgets. I've been there, done that. Trust me, <laughs> 30, $30 a month can sound like a lot of money. Um, but if you look at things like your entertainment budget, what are you paying for TV, Netflix, Hulu, all those things, see if you can make some cuts and you know take a course like that where you're paying a few bucks a month and uh, just try to accelerate as fast as you can. Yeah, definitely. And also, once you pick a, a resource... Uh, don't, you know, again, it's so easy to get distracted because there's so many things available. Um, if you pick tree horse, uh, tree horse, tree, <laughs> no. tree house, for example, then stick with it, you know, go all the way through the program. If you get stuck, that's really when you should be thinking, Hey, I'm on the verge of a breakthrough because when you get stuck, it, you know, it, it feels like you're never going to get past it, but that is always a sign that you're kind of, you know, right there about to deepen your learning. So, and so when you're, when you're getting into this, you know, there's a lot of different development languages to learn and platforms and frameworks. How do you decide like what programming language or framework or whatever that you'd like to start with? Yeah, that's a really good question. And that's something I, I have a whole chapter devoted to that uh, in the book. But I would say the most important thing when choosing a language 
is to choose one and stick with it. It is very, very tempting to um, dabble a little bit in JavaScript, dabble a little bit in Ruby, dabble a little bit in Java, and you have to get to the point where you have deep enough knowledge in one language to really be effective and to be hireable. And dabbling in several different languages isn't going to give you that. And so uh, if you got started on one language, just keep going with it. But if you're still trying to decide what is the first language you want to go go with, uh, the top things you should be looking at are how easy is it to learn? Uh, because some languages are much more difficult for beginners than others. Also, do you happen to have anybody who work that you know who works in a specific language? Because if you have contacts, let's say that work in C sharp, then even if she C sharp may not have otherwise been the best language to pick, it's the best language because you have a very very helpful resource there. Um, and then other than that, it, it's just the demand, and demand is really, there's an overall demand, which is uh, higher for certain languages than others. And then there's also the local demand. So for example, uh, I used to live in Atlanta. And at the time, Ruby was very popular in Atlanta. Uh, but out here in Chicago, you know, it, there there are other languages, just Java seems to be a little bit bigger. And you can find that out by looking at job listings in your area. And so you want to really look for something that has a strong demand and not just a strong demand, but has a lot of openings for junior developers. Because there are some languages that have a lot of openings, but they're just really not interested in junior developers and other ones where they're more than happy to take juniors. Yeah, I, th I think that's all excellent advice. I uh, couldn't agree more. Um, I, I think you're dead on with the pick one language and stick with it um, idea. Um, as somebody with about 15 years of experience, uh, once you learn one language really well, you'll start to notice that most of the languages have a core common uh, set of functionalities that are about the same, yeah. right? There's, uh, I know there'll be somebody that says, you know, but what about this language doesn't have that? But for the most part, yeah. <laughs> most languages have variables, for loops, mm -hmm. uh, you know, do while and, and those type of um, uh, code practices where, you know, in keywords and syntax might vary slightly, but those things tend to stay the same. Um, I've done, you know, JavaScript, C Sharp, Ruby, all of those things. And you, you always find you can pretty much translate from one to the other. It's learning those nuances of each language, uh, the little edge cases, especially with things like JavaScript, a bunch of little oddities oh, that yeah. the language does. Uh, those are the things that are real sticking points that, um, you know, it helps when, when you say focus on one language uh, because you'll be able to learn all those nuances and be effective in the workplace. And then if you need to learn a new language later, it's not such a big uh, jump to, to pick up something different once you've uh, gotten pretty proficient at one language. Yeah, I can't agree more. I mean, uh, my first language was Ruby. Uh, second language was JavaScript. And just the amount of of effort that it took to learn Ruby versus learn a JavaScript, you know, and, and it had nothing to do with the language itself. It was, like you said, all about having those foundations and you have something to tr kind of compare it back to. I, I think of it 
kind of like if you've learned one Latin language, like if you know Spanish, then learning Italian or French is just so much easier because you have something where you can draw a line. Oh, that word's like this. And, and it's the same thing with language, with computer languages. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and some advice for, for people that are uh, going to go through this path and then later on uh, in their career, um, it's actually helpful to pick up those languages later, you know, after the fact, after you've, you've gotten over that hump, uh, learning those other languages actually gives you some perspective once you get to that level. Yep. But not something you want to do right out of the gate. <laughs> just to be clear. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good thing in the long run to try, uh, not in the short term. Definitely. So uh, we went over, you know, some of the languages and stuff. Do you have any advice for, say, frameworks? Um, you know, JavaScript uh, tends to be one of those those ecosystems that moves very rapidly. Oh, yeah. Uh, and getting on board... Uh, JavaScript frameworks is like trying to jump on a moving train that's going 100 miles an hour. Yeah, JavaScript is way more difficult than other languages um, when it comes to frameworks because um, most other languages, for example, Ruby, it's just Rails. And I mean, there are other frameworks, but the other ones are just really insignificant. Um, you know, uh, you know the, most languages have one or two frameworks and those stay more or less steady. But JavaScript is just flavor of the month club. And it's very hard to keep up. I'm hoping that it's settling out a little bit and that it will continue to be angular and react for, for, you know, a decent amount of time so that it doesn't um, stay that flavor of the month club, you know, kind of thing. Um, but if you are trying to pick a framework, again, just pick one and stick with it. Because if you work in React, let's say, then if there's a job where they're asking for Angular, yeah, you may not have as strong of a shot at it as somebody who works in Angular. But you know, there are just knowing JavaScript and knowing one of the frameworks is usually good enough to still get you an interview and get strongly considered. Um, and then picking up that framework uh, should be really no no problem at all when you know the language well. So uh, don't overthink the framework, just like you shouldn't overthink the language, don't overthink the framework. Uh, again, look at the job listings in your area, see what the majority of them are asking for, and and go with that. And even more so uh, with frameworks, uh, just like languages, pick one and stick with it. Exactly. Yeah, especially in JavaScript, like, there's there's no way to learn them all. It's it's not Pokemon. We're not trying to catch them all here. <laughs> like <laughs> learn one, uh, and and try to be as best you can in that one. And some of the other ones may come easy. There are some fundamentals that are the same between those things, uh, especially like React and Angular. There's some core concepts like components and things that are the same. But yep. uh, if you try to learn React, Vue, uh, Angular, and jQuery all at the same time, uh, you're setting yourself up for some headaches. Yeah. And I mean, you can dabble for fun. So, you know, I work uh, mainly in React and, you know, I dabble in Vue, I dabble in uh, Angular, but kind of just to entertain myself when I get bored. But I still you know, mostly stick to React 
and and that's where I really focus my time to to keep deepening my my knowledge because you know you want to have you want to have a niche you want to have a brand on you or you, you're not just a developer nobody wants to hire a developer people want to hire a javascript developer who knows react people want to you know hire a um what PHP developer who knows what is it Laravel? Um, you yeah. know what? You know whatever the thing is, they want to recruiters want to be able to look at you and put you in a little tiny box and say what you are. And the stronger that brand is, then the easier it is for them to do that and to hook you up with a job. Yeah, I think you you said something that that hits home with me too is. You're talking about, you know, dabbling with X, Y, and Z because it's fun in your spare time, mm -hmm. right? If you're new to this and uh, those, those type of things don't sound fun to you, yeah. <laughs> then uh, coding might, might not be, you know, something you enjoy. Uh, I find that people that are really excelling at this stuff are like myself, like, this is what we're doing as a hobby as well as our day-to-day -day job, right? I kind of agree, but I would say that there it's not necessarily quite that clear-cut when you're first starting out because um, there's there, there are a couple things that can get in the way of just the joy of it, and one of them is uh, imposter syndrome. So a lot of people, you know, I was one of them, you know, go through a stage where you just feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not good enough at this. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't, I'm not really a developer, you know, I'll never really be a developer, that kind of thing. And, uh, it can really diminish the joy of it when you're constantly stressing out about whether or not you're, you're good enough. Um, so if you're having moments where you're just, you know, in heaven doing it and moments where you just want to stab yourself in the eye that's totally normal <laughs> you know agreed, agreed. but if you're if you're never feeling the joy in, of it then yeah this may not be for you you know but but if you feel those ups then uh don't worry about the downs yeah if you if you put it down though and uh it keeps calling you back this yes. is probably something you're going to enjoy exactly so speaking of uh, these recruiters trying to put you in a box, <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about the uh, path to employment. Yeah. So that, again, is is one of the biggest, that's where I see people get stuck so much. Um, and, and there are a couple reasons. Uh, one of them is that I think sometimes people don't realize how important just basic job searching skills are. So you can be the best developer in the world, but if you don't have the job search skills, um, then you, you know, there's just no way for anybody to know that. And, um, you know, the other thing is that there are some things that are different when you're searching for uh, a developer job than for any other job. And the main thing that's different is the coding interviews. So if you're applying for a banker job, nobody's going to ask you to go and count money, you know, while you're, you know, applying for a banker job. You don't have to prove that you know what you say you know. Um, I feel like they should. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want anybody touching their money until they're like, you know, bonded. You have to be bonded. <laughs> Like, show me all your fingers and toes. <laughs> I know. Okay, right? you're hired. I need to fingerprint you. They, you know, but uh, no, but it is funny. There are, it would be interesting. A lot of jobs could probably use a little bit more of that. Um, but uh, one of the things with 
doing the coding challenge is that uh, nerves can get in the way of it, you know, or, or just not knowing the strategies to do well in a coding interview. The, one of the most interesting experiences that I had, because uh, like I said, I, I, I was I was lucky. I, I had started my job search bef- while I was still in coding boot camp. And I had, I think I had like four offers, like within a week or two of, of graduation and, and got to choose between them. Um, but my, my classmates looking around weren't, there were a couple of them that were in that position, but most of them weren't. And it wasn't skill level that was the difference. It was job search skills. Um, and I, I remember the funniest thing was my manager that, that first hired me as a junior developer, he told me afterwards, because he would uh, talk to me about the interviews that he did, and he told me afterwards that what I had done so well in the interview was that as I was doing the coding challenge, I talked through my thought process. And because I was talking through my thought process, even when I got a little bit off track, he could tell what I was thinking. He could tell that I was thinking logically, that, you know, I, I had a good, you know, logical thought process and was would get there eventually, you know. And so, and also, you know, with junior developers, a lot of interviewers will help you to get back on track if you start to get on track, but they have to know what you're thinking in order to do that. Um, and so, you know, he said that that made a huge difference. And, and he said that he'd interviewed some people who had written pretty decent code, but they hadn't been able to communicate at all what they had done and why they had done it. And, you know, he, he looked at him and he thought, I'm not sure they can work on a team. You know, I need to have somebody, especially we did pair programming, um, especially, you know, if you're going to be pair programming, you have to be able to communicate your thoughts to the other person or else, you know, you're not going to get anywhere. So that was really interesting to me. Yeah, I haven't had um, an interview like that in so long. I couldn't possibly give good advice on it. Uh, so do you, you still find that employers are they doing like uh, whiteboard coding or uh, challenges where you don't even, you know, get behind the keyboard? Is that still a thing? Every employer is different. And, and it's really, there is no standard. And I, I like to say that there is no standard because nobody really knows what they're doing. It is very hard to figure out whether or not somebody can code just over a short interview process, right? So you're really kind of taking a stab in the dark. And a lot of things that, that, hires that the companies thought were working. For example, Google used to give these um, brain teaser problems, like how many ping pong balls can you fit in an airplane? Um, (laughs) (laughs) And they stopped doing that because when they actually really evaluated the data, they could tell that there was no difference in, in the performance ability of people who had performed well on that task Uh, versus people who hadn't, when you looked at them in the real job, you know, no correlation whatsoever. Um, So uh, I think a lot of employers are kind of fumbling through it. Uh, Probably all of them, honestly, to a certain extent. And uh, so that means there's a lot of variance. So some companies will do a whiteboard interview. Some of them will do uh, a code challenge where you're coding over screen share Others will bring you in and have you pair program with somebody. Um, some will send you a challenge and have you do it 
over, you know, let's say you have two hours to complete it and then you send it back. Um, but there are some commonalities between all of them. And I think the biggest commonality is the kind of problems that they do. Um, so there are a certain set of problems that just keep coming up over and over. Yeah, I would suspect that uh, something that might be helpful is even though you're new, uh, try to find other people that are either at your level or lower and teach them something. Um, it helps you learn how to communicate that that code that you're trying to write or the process you're trying to follow, at least to somebody else at your level. Um, you know, teaching people stuff helps you learn in the long run. So that, that may be a helpful tip as well. Definitely. Definitely. Um, you know, I absolutely agree. Um, you never learn something as well as when you have to teach it to somebody because you ha it forces you to identify the gaps in your own knowledge too. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, that's, that's a big part of my day to day is, uh, you know, writing articles and, uh, creating demo code and stuff like that. So I, I know it helps me. And, uh, you know, this is after, like I said, about 15 years of experience, it's uh, still something that I, you know, as soon as I learn something, I turn around uh, and try to put it in a format where somebody else can use that to get up to speed quickly. And uh, usually I, I come out uh, much further ahead, understanding something, comprehending what it is I just learned uh, when I do that. Yeah, that's really great. So you said you were from Chicago, right? Well, I'm, I live in Chicago now, but I'm actually from Atlanta. So I was I lived in Atlanta from the time that I was two up until a year ago. <laughs> so I thought this was interesting, uh, you being from Chicago now. Mm -hmm. uh, the Chicago Tribune uh, just put out an article. I think it was about – I think it was last week actually. It just came out. Um and it's uh, the title is "Report Ranks Software Developer as Best Job in the U.S. This Year." Oh yeah. yeah, and it details how software development is the career to have in 2018. Uh, so I think um, this this uh, book that you put together is a good resource for people that want to have the quote best job in the yeah. US this year. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I can't re recommend it more. I love my job every day. Um, you know, it, and especially sometimes I look at developers who've been in it from the beginning, I'm think they just take so much for granted, you know, because as a developer, you have a certain amount of flexibility in terms of your hours. You have like a, you know, you're a respected resource here. Um, you, and more than anything, you just have something so interesting to do. Um, I always say that like, you know, when people ask me, what do you like about coding? I'm like, it's like fireworks for my brain, <laughs> you know? And, uh, um, and, and I, having come from another career, I don't take any of that for granted. You know, I like having an employer that, you know, pays for you to go out to, to, you know, have a team outing and stuff like that. You know, all that kind of stuff is just like, you know, icing on the cake for me because, you know, when you're a banker, you're just a, a lowly employee. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're at the top. With the Unless parachute. you're at the top, yes. <laughs> if you're at the top, then you're like stepping on the peons, you know. <laughs> <laughs> don't give don't give away your double digit six figure uh, <laughs> executive banking uh, career. Yeah, Unless you that's know? something you really really want. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I do know people that have left high paying careers though, like being a lawyer or something like that, um, to become developers just more than anything, just because they didn't like what they were doing and they wanted they loved coding and wanted to do it. So sometimes it's not all about the money. <laughs> yeah. I, I started off with uh, electronics engineering and it's fun to some extent. And I, I kind of got, I guess, burned out on it very quickly. Um, one of the things I like about coding is you can iterate on something very quickly and inexpensively. Um, with electronics, you don't have that capability it's a little bit easier now than it was before, but, uh, in the past, you know, you have, um, you know, say a project you, you find interesting, it costs you hundreds of dollars to get it up and running. And then if you're like, it would have been better if I did it this other way, <laughs> you're throwing away expensive hardware to start over again. <laughs> yeah. And I found that very irritating. It's like, I can't afford to have this as a hobby and a career. Like it's just not working out. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I did like the coding part of uh, all of it. So that I kept gravitating back to it over and over again. And um, a, a lot of times I found myself uh, writing an app that put myself out of a career. <laughs> and uh, it, it seemed to work out in my benefit. So I, I kept getting new projects over and over. And they're like, okay, you don't, what are you doing now that you, you don't have this 20, 30 hours of work to do every day? And I'm like, um, hanging I out at the beach. <laughs> and they're like, okay, let's see what you can do next. So that's kind of how that's cool. I managed to get into it. Uh, so excellent advice. Um, I'll, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to that Chicago Tribune article as well. Yeah. Uh, but we'll, we'll put some links to, to your resources too. Uh, where can we find your ebook? So uh, it's out on Amazon. It is on pre-order. Uh, it, it's actually going to be officially available on the 20th. So um, yes, go to Amazon. You can either, uh, I'll, I'm sure you'll, be able to put the link up on on show notes but also you could just search for how to become a web developer and it should be one of the the top things to come up there as well and you said you have uh, a, po a podcast named the code crush podcast yes uh, where can we find that yeah so that's on itunes google play uh all the basically anywhere that you'd be looking for a for a podcast, it should be out there, and uh, we have one full season that's out, and we're about to start releasing the second season. We just recorded our um, our first episode of the second season yesterday, so that should be out probably on Monday. And you could also hit that at codecrush.me. And uh, are there any uh, uh, links to your personal? Uh, like website or uh, your Twitter for, for people to follow? So on Twitter, it's at Julie Torero. So J-U-L-I-E-T-O-R-E-R-O. -E -E um, and, uh, and I am in the process of putting up a website uh, devoted to my book and, uh, and personal blog, um, which it's going to be uh, site. S-I-T-E. Uh, it's not up, but it should be up within a couple of days. Just been uh, slacking on that. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so we'll put all those resources in the show notes. And then I have some stuff here as well. Um, so I work for Progress and I work on the brand of Telerik 
tools for progress. And uh, one of the things that I really enjoy about our company is we have a lot of learning resources and opportunities for people. Uh, and every time we have a new uh, release of our developer tools or um, there's new things that are coming out uh, like ASP.NET Core and I'm sure we'll do something on Bootstrap eventually. Uh, we have webinars, lots of webinars all year long. We have great stuff to sign up for. They're free, no strings attached. If you go to telerik.com slash webinars, uh, you'll find all of our webinars there. Uh, they are recorded as well. So if they have already aired, uh, you can watch those and stream those uh, usually from YouTube. Um, so you can go back through the back catalog. Uh, there's some free learning for you there. And uh, we have some new tools that we're releasing this month. And the webinars are on the 30th for our JavaScript tools and the first for all of our .NET tools. So if you go to telerik.com slash webinars, uh, there's a lot of great resources there for you. Julie, thanks again for being on the show. Uh, I hope everybody uh, finds your book and um, uses that to uh, kind of get ahead of um, this this challenge and make it a little bit easier on themselves. Yeah, thanks. It's it's definitely been a pleasure, and I am more than willing to answer any questions that that people have about getting started in the field. Um, if you pick tree horse, uh, tree horse, tree, <laughs> 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 <No>. <laughs> tree house. For